sometimes we make promises that we can't keep. We know that. We say, I'm going to do something. I'll be there. I'll help you. But circumstances sometimes are beyond our control, and we just can't do what we say. Truth is, you know, we don't control all things. We don't know the future. So when we make a promise, it really is is limited. In fact, God's Word is pretty clear on it. In fact, Ecclesiastes 5 says it's better not to make a vow a promise, than to make a vow and not keep it. So we need to be real careful when we say that we're going to do something. Jesus said, simply say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, one thing about it, uh, sometimes we don't do what we say. Uh, we may say, I'll, I'll help you move. Uh, what, what Saturday is? Okay, Saturday the 20th, I'll help you move. Saturday the 20th comes, you forget. Saturday the 20th comes, you say, I don't want to, I don't know why I said I was going to do that. It's cold. I don't want to do that. And you know, and sometimes we don't do what we say. Now, one thing about it, though, that God always keeps His word, always. And and in fact, there's two things when it goes back to to the keys about God keeping His word. First, it's His character, and it, and it, uh, His uh, His character. Well, it's supposed to be. Uh, yeah, first of all, in His character, dealing with His word, and His character, dealing with His power. Those two things tie together: His word and His power. And think about that when you well, His word, whatever He says, go to the next slide. He can't lie. So if God says, I will do this, then it's going to come to pass. Titus 1 verse 2 says, God who cannot lie promised eternal life. He can't lie. So anytime in the Bible you see a promise and God says that he's going to do something, it's got to come to pass because his word is that way. The second aspect is his power. He's all powerful and he's able to do whatever he promises. Romans 4.20 says that whatever God promised, he is able to do. Now, you can say, I'm going to do something, but sometimes we lie. We don't keep our word. Sometimes we say, I'll do something. Not that we lie, we just weren't able to do it. When God makes a promise, He can't lie, so it's going to always come to pass. And number two, He's always always able to do anything that He promises because He's all-powerful. So that's a very, very powerful section there. Tonight, as we look at our passage, God keeps His word. He told Abraham He's going to make a covenant with him, an unconditional covenant that He's going to give him the land, the seed, and the blessing. Tonight, we actually see God cutting the covenant. And we'll talk about, when we say cut a covenant, what do you mean? What did they do in that day and time? And we'll see it. We'll show you how it all fits together. As we begin, let's remember where we are and why all this is so important. Abraham, if you remember what had happened. Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, had left Abraham basically and went down and was living in Sodom. And some armies came down, four different armies came down and captured that whole area and took Lot off and took everybody off. Abraham took eight, 318 of his men, and then he got some guys that were living close to him by the name of Mamre and Eshcol and this other guy, and, and they took off, and they whipped all these armies, and they brought everybody back safe and sound. So fantastic. And when they came back, Abraham was met by two people. He was met by the king of Sodom, who was an evil man, and he said, and the guy said to Abram, hey, you know, you did so great, keep all the stuff. And Abram said, I'm not taking anything from you, because I don't want anybody to think you had anything to do with me being rich, because you're evil. That's what he basically said. He was also met by a guy by the name of Melchizedek, who was the king priest of Salem, and Abram recognized who this man was and gave him a tenth of the spoil. It was just amazing. Now, after this was over, Abram began to be worried. He worried about, what, what about this army? What about, what about if they come back to get me? And I want you to look at chapter 15, verse 1, because this is where it started after all that happened. It says in chapter 15, verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward be very great. He said, You don't have to worry about armies coming back. You don't have to worry about any of that, because I'm your shield. And that's one of the great truths about it, that God is the provider protector. He said, I'm the shield. I'm the protection. God would be there to protect him. He 
does the same thing for us. He is our provider, protector. In fact, He is our protection. He is our provision. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? He'll provide everything that we need according to His riches and glory. So we're fine. Now, what happened is that God's going to come back in this passage and He's going to deal with the unconditional covenant that He's already promised Abraham. Now, unconditional covenant means this, that a covenant was an agreement between two parties. Most of the time, covenants were conditional. Somebody says, I'll do this if you'll do this. And they'll say, well, I'll do this if you'll do this. Those are conditional covenants. When God made the covenant with Abraham, God said, I will do the following. Abraham doesn't have any part in it. He doesn't say, well, uh, I have to do this. God didn't say, Abraham, if you'll do the following, I'll do the following. That's not what he says to him. He says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a seed. I'm going to give you a blessing. It was not based on what Abraham would do, whether he was faithful or not. It was just based on what God said he would do. Now, when in this section, you remember it, land, seed, blessing. In this section, he deals with two things, the seed and the blessing. In fact, that's the seed is ultimately going to be the offspring, ultimately it's going to be the Messiah, and the land is the land of Canaan. Now, I want you to see something. If you look back at chapter 15, verse 2, he started worrying about the seed. Now, you remember, he was 75 years old when he left the earth of the Chaldees, and his wife was 65. He already figures, you know, I think, I think, I think we may be too old to get this, but God said, no, no, you're not too old to get it. You're going to have a child. We're going to see what happens in the next chapter, which, if you read ahead, you won't like it. You won't like the next two, next couple of chapters and what happens. But in this, he's a little bit concerned. He's afraid that maybe he's never going to have a child. So here's what he says to God in verse 2 of Genesis 15. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? Since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Now what Abraham is saying is, Lord, I don't guess you're going to give me a, a son of my own. And so one of my servants, one of my good servants will actually be my heir. Because that's what happened in those days. If a, if a man didn't have a, an heir, didn't have a son, if he had a slave who was, who was a faithful servant, but he basically adopted him toward the end and just said, you take my possessions. That's what Abram is thinks going to happen. But look at verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but the one who comes forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And basically he said, No, you don't have to worry about that. And then he did something unique. He took him outside. Now this is at nighttime. He took him outside. He said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you're able to count them, so shall your descendants be. And so he, he told him as far as the seed was concerned, You don't have to worry. If you can count all those stars, that's how many offspring you're going to have. And he's going, are you kidding me? Man, that's a lot. That's a lot. You know, um, over the, the holidays, we went to Mississippi and we went to, uh, to where Owen and Barbara live. And they live actually outside of a town, out, you know, of a little town. And when you get out there, there's nothing out there. There's no lights. And we walked outside the house one night and I went, oh my gosh, you can see all these stars. You would not believe how many stars there are up there. Have you seen those stars lately? I mean, they fill the sky. You know, in a town, you can't see them because of all the lights and everything. And so, you know, how many lights you think there were with Abram, huh? And so he walked out, and he went, oh, my gracious. That's how many kids you're going to be? That's how many offspring you're going to have? It's going to be a great nation coming from you. Now, what we don't realize, if you're not careful, you realize that as you get to verse 7... It's a whole different day. In these first five or six verses, they dealt with the seed. Now, next, he's going to talk about the land, but it is a different time. 
Okay, and I'll show you how we know. Because remember, this one happened at nighttime. He went outside and said, look at the stars. Watch what happens on this one. This next part deals with the land, okay? And, uh, you know, the, the land, the seed, the blessing, all of these things. Look at verse 7. And he said to him, this is another time. God says to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Now, first time on another day they talked about the seed. This time they're going to talk about the land. Now, the land is important. You realize that we already saw that when Abram was there in his land and he had Lot and they had all this stuff and he said, Lot, you choose whichever way you want to go. If you go to the east, I'll go to the west. You go to the west, I'll go to the east. Lot looked around, saw the best land and said, I'm going right over there. And Abram said, okay, I'll go over here. And if you looked at it humanly, you'd say, Abram, you just got ripped off. You got ripped off by your nephew. You should have been the guy that chose. God's the one that called you there, but you let this guy get the best land. As soon as Lot left, God came to Abram and said, Look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All of this is yours. That's the promise to him. All of it. Now, land was the big deal. And we're going to see as we go through their life. In fact, we're going to see a couple of chapters later. Later on, when Sarah dies, he doesn't possess any land there. He's, He's wondering. The land is his that God has promised him. He doesn't possess any of it. And when Sarah dies, he has to go buy a little cave to bury her in. And the guy sold it to him for a lot of money. And you could say again, now Abram, didn't you just get ripped off? The guy called, he said, look how much for that little piece of land. But God says, "Don't. It, it's your land. All of it's your land. They argue today about Gaza and about the West Bank and about the northern part and the Golan Heights and about the southern part and the Negev and all of those things. Guess whose land it is? I don't care who's arguing over it. It's Israel's land. It's it's the descendants of Abram's land. And we'll talk more about it tonight as we go through this. Now, he says, he says I'm going to give you the land. I'm the Lord God who's going to give you the land. So what does Abram say in verse 8? He said, O oh Lord God, how may I know that I'm going to actually get it? How do I know I'm going to possess it? Well, God's going to say, okay, we're going to go ahead and make it official. I'm going to cut a covenant with you. And so look what he told him to do. And some people, if you don't understand the background, you go, what are they doing? Look what he says to do. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. He said, go get me five animals, right? A heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Go get those. Go get those animals. And he brought all these to him and he cut them in two. And laid them each half opposite the other. He didn't cut uh, apart the bird. So he took, you know, the heifer, cut it apart two sides. He took the goat, put the other, put the. He took the two birds, and since they're small, you don't, you just put one over here and one over here. So you've got these animals cut in two. In that day and time, that's how they signed a covenant. May not be five animals. It may not be. It may be just one animal. And what they would do is they would cut this animal in two, and they'd put one side and one side. And the two people who were going to sign the covenant would grab arms and they would walk in between those animals saying that we make an agreement. Whatever we have promised we will do and if we don't keep our agreement, may we get cut in two. That's the plan. So whoever walks between the covenant said, walks between the animals says, I am agreeing to do what I said. That was a conditional covenant. Guess who's going to go in between these animals? Do you think Abram's going to go in between these animals? He isn't. God's going to go in between those animals. 
So watch what happens. God says, you get those animals, cut them in two. Then the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. I mean, the birds are coming. Go, get, get away, get away, get away. This is for God. That's what he's doing. Now, as we see this, we're going to see three things stand out. First of all, I don't know, is that the right one? This is the three things? There it is. Okay, he tells of the future events of his offspring. He's going to talk about it. He's going to tell what's going to happen to Abraham's descendants. Now, Abraham has no descendants at this time. He's old and his wife's old. They have nothing. He says, here's what's going to happen to your descendants. He's going to give the future events. They're going to go into captivity. He's going to then, we're going to see, as we look through our passage, we're going to see the cutting of the covenant, and at the very end of the passage, we're going to see the dimensions of the land. We'll see how big that land really is. So the first thing is prophecy. The prophecy of the people. I think there's a slide. I, I think there's one, the next one. Yeah, first, the prophecy of the people. Now watch this. Now the sun was going down. Remember, it's been daylight. This is a different time than the other time he told him to go out and look at the stars. Now the sun was going down. A deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Now, the sun was going down. It's the end of the day. And he fell into this deep sleep. This is the same Hebrew word used when God put Adam to sleep. You remember it says he caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. And then he took the rib and made the woman. And this is the same word. He made Abraham, in a sense, go into this deep sleep. And there's terror there because God is going to tell him something. And look what it is. God said to Abram, Know for certain your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. What land is he talking about? What people is he talking about? First of all, what people is he talking about? The descendants of who? Abraham. Abraham to Isaac. Isaac to Jacob. Jacob and all the the family, the, the Jewish nation. They're going to be slaves in what land? Egypt. This is long before it happens. And he not only tells them what's going to happen, he tells them how long they will be there. He said they will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, and they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. About how long do you think the Jewish people were in slavery in Egypt? You want to take a guess? About 400 years, yeah. That's just, you know, God. when God says it will happen in 70 years, it happens in 70 years. When he says that there will be a tribulation that will be seven years, it will be seven years. That's just the way it is. Now, how did they get down there? Do you remember? There was a famine. Uh, Joseph had ended up down there because uh, he had been put into slavery. His brother sold him off into slavery. He ended up in Egypt, and we know the different things. And, and because he was able, because God had given him the ability to understand dreams, Pharaoh raised Joseph up to be number two in all of Egypt. And a famine came. And when the famine came... Joseph's family came, and they all got united, and they came down, and they all began to live. Seventy-five. There were only seventy-five of them by the time Joseph was was his age, that age. Seventy-five Jewish people, and they came into Egypt. And over the next years, they began to multiply. In fact, they began to multiply so much, and they were living in the land of Goshen, which is the northern part of Egypt, that a, the Pharaoh died, and a new Pharaoh came. And this Pharaoh did not know Joseph, because Joseph already died. And he said, I don't like these people. They bother me. They, they are populating too fast. Who knows? They could turn against us and become our enemies. And so he made them all slaves. And they were slaves for 400 years. And they have never forgotten it. 
They have never forgotten it. You talk to any Jewish person and you talk about, besides the Holocaust, what's the worst thing they ever remember? Slavery in Egypt. And um, you remember the story, and I've told this many times, but I can still remember when, when Jimmy Carter had Menachem Begin and, and Anwar Sadat sitting side by side, and this was the first peace treaty ever signed between the Arabs and the Jews in that sense. And of course, Anwar Sadat signed it with Menachem Begin. It wasn't what, three months later, he was killed. They, they killed him. They, terrorists killed him. Because he signed a peace pact with Israel. But in that peace, in that meeting, Jimmy Carter's here, Menachem Begin's here, and Enmore Sadat's there, and Enmore Sadat said, We have worked very hard on this treaty. And Menachem Begin looked over and said, But not as hard as my people worked when they were your slaves. They never forget it. He says, You, they will be slaves for 400 years. And then look at the next thing. I will judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterwards they will come out with many possessions. How did God judge the Egyptians? The plagues. We all know the story in Exodus about the ten plagues, you know, and, the, and all the, you know, the fire coming down and the water to blood and all of those kind of things. We all know the ten plagues. Every one of those were judgments on the gods of Egypt. But notice what he says. This is way before it ever happens. He says, I'm going to judge that nation. And afterwards, they'll come out with many possessions. You, you're telling me that slaves are going to come out of Egypt with many possessions? They had nothing, right? I mean, you're a slave. You don't have anything. How are they going to come out with many possessions? Well, listen to this. If you remember in Genesis, in Exodus chapter 12, when they came out, when they got ready to come out because of the plagues, in verse 31, it says... Then the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and said, Rise up, get out from among my people, both you and the sons of Israel, and you leave. Take your flocks, your herds. The Egyptians urged the people to send them out. Egyptians said, Get them out. Get them out of the land. We'll all be dead. So the people took their dough, which was, which, before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls, and they began to leave. And the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested, listen to this, they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have their request, thus they plundered the Egyptians. Do you realize the slaves, when they came out, they looked to the Egyptians and said, Could I have those earrings? Could I have those bracelets? Could I have that nose thing? Could I have this? Could I have this? And they gave it to him. They said, just take it and get out. They came out rich. What did they do with all that gold? They did two things with it. They did something bad and they did something good. What did they do bad? Golden calf. What did they do good? They built the temple, the tabernacle with it. Yeah. It's powerful. Then he says to Abram, because if you're Abram, you're going, whoa, 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 where am I going to be doing all this stuff? As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Anybody know how old he was? Huh? I think he's 175, wasn't he? Moses was 120, but uh, yeah. So he's gonna, it's going to be great for him. Now, he says, Abram, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to give you this land. Now, your people, your descendants are going to be slaves in a land that's not theirs, and they're going to be slaves for 400 years, and then they're going to come out, and they're going to come out rich. But for you, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're going to live to be an old age and just die. And that's exactly what happened. But notice how everything is exact. 
Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. The fourth generation? What's the fourth generation? Well, there's Abram, and then Abram had who? Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had Joseph, and then fallen Joseph is who? Moses. There's the four generations before they're going to come back. They're coming back with Moses. Everything the Bible says is always right. Every prophecy that has ever been made always comes true. And the prophecies that hadn't come true yet are coming true. You can count on them. Everything that's future about the rapture and the tribulation and the second coming and the kingdom and all of these things and the new heavens and the new earth, I guarantee you, you can write those things down. They already are written down, but you can write them down because they are absolutely true. Okay? Look at these promises. Why does God wait 400 years to bring his people out of Egypt? Look what he says. It'll be the fourth generation that they will return here. Why? For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. The people called the Amorites were the descendants of Ham. And they were sometimes called the Canaanites. Cursed be to who? What was the the promise? Was cursed be to Canaan, who was the descendant of Ham, and the descendants of Ham and Canaan became known as the Canaanites, and they're also called the Amorites, and they're the names of these people that are listed down here at the very end, and they were living in that land, and he said their iniquity is not ready yet; they hadn't got to all the sin they were going to do, and then God used His people to remove them from that land. See, that land belongs to Israel. And other people were living there. People said, you know, Jewish people came in and took over that land and they killed all those people and ran them out. That's right. That's exactly right because it's their land. And these people were wicked. And God said, I'm going to use my people to deal with them. Wow. Now, let's see the signing of the covenant. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. Now, what best we can understand from the way the Hebrew is written there, they're trying to put it into English the best we can. It was almost like this cylindrical pot, this, this fire that was like a round thing of fire just kind of going around and around and around and around. And it came down and it went in between. It was symbolic of God. You know, later on when you see uh, to Moses, uh, to, uh, to Moses, it's going to be the, the burning bush. And, and here's this flaming, fiery thing that comes down and goes in between those animals. Who's signing the covenant? God's signing the covenant. What's Abraham doing? He's going, how you doing? You know, I'm over here. Just stay over there. Don't get in the way. It's an unconditional covenant. Henry Morris says, only God passes through denoting the unconditional promise. And God says he will do his part. This is called a theophany, by the way. A theophany is a theological term that comes from two Greek words. Theos means God. Uh, phanos means appearing. So a theophany is a God appearing. It's an appearance of God. Whether it's a burning bush or whether it's a flaming thing or whether it's fire, a cloud in the, in the day and a fiery, you know, thing at night or whatever it is, it's God's appearance. 
And that's called a theophany. And that's what we see here. God signs the covenant. Now look what he goes on. That's the promise. And we've seen the blessing already. We've seen the seed. And now here's the land. And look what he does. He's going to give some of the dimensions of this land. Look what he says. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants, I have, not I will. Notice. Not I will give this land. What does he say? I have given this land. When did he give him the land? Well, he said, I have given the land. When did he give the land? And the, the original promise. And God said it is as good as done. And now God's actually signing the agreement. But he says, I've, I've given this land. Now, when you think about it, it says... From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates. He says, from the Nile River in Egypt, that's on the west side, to the great river Euphrates, that's on the east side. Now, let me show you something, because he goes on and lists a whole bunch of nations. Look, he says, the Kenites, and the Canaanites, and the Cabanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Rephim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Gershusite, and the Jebusite. These are all people groups that were living in this region. And he says, this is the where you're going to get. This is going to be your land. But notice the dimensions, and we can put it up, from the, land, the river Nile in Egypt. Now look at the map. Go all the way over to as far as you can go on that map, and you see the river in Egypt, the Nile, and then it goes over to the Tigris-Euphrates River. See over there where it says Mesopotamia, Babylonia, that? That whole thing belongs to Israel. Can you make the one a little bit closer? If you... If you uh, if you see over here on the left side where it says Gaza and Jericho and all that, today, if you said, what is modern day Israel? That little section from the, from the, the all that water right there where it says Jericho, if you go to the west, to the, to the Mediterranean Sea, that's Israel today, that little, that little section. The promise, go back to the big map if you can. The promised land, goes way over to the Nile River and then all the way over to the Tigris-Euphrates River. That all belongs to them. What is modern-day Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, the Sinai, that's all going to be Israel's land. That's the land. They have never totally possessed it. Never yet have they totally possessed it. When will they totally possess this land? What? When Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords and sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem and he will rule over the world and Israel will have their land. That's the fulfillment of the promise. The promise began with Abram. To your descendants I have given this land. From the river Nile, river in Egypt, to the great river, the river Euphrates. That's a huge area, by the way. And let me tell you, those people who live in that places, they don't want Israel to have that land. Even the little bitty part that Israel has today, no, most people don't want them to have that land. Not only will they have that land, they'll have all this other land one day. You can guarantee it. And you will live to see it. Now, you may die physically, but you're going to live to see this. Because one day when Jesus Christ comes back as the king, you're coming with him because you know Christ as Savior. And you'll be in the millennial kingdom, and he will rule in righteousness and justice. And you will see the fact that there is the king of kings and the Lord of lords in Jerusalem ruling the entire world. 
And Israel is this section right here. You can just guarantee it because God guarantees it. Do you take God at His word? He always does what He promises. What's our covenant? Our covenant is the blood of the new covenant that by faith in Jesus Christ we have what? Eternal life. Do you take the promise of God? Did He say to you, when you believe in me, I give you what? Eternal life. What do you have? Eternal life. Can it end? No, if it could end, it wasn't eternal life. It was life for a while. But He said, I give you eternal life. You should say, that is a promise of God, and I have believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have eternal life this exact moment. Because the moment you believe, you get eternal life. And if we believe this promise is true, I guarantee you the eternal life promise is true just as much. What have we seen? We've seen the dialogue between Abraham and God, and the first one dealt with the the seed and the offspring, and God said, don't worry, go outside, look at all the stars, you got it. Second dialogue had to deal with the land, and Abram said, I don't know how, how do I know I'm going to possess it? God said, okay, let's cut the covenant. He cut the covenant, and he even told him the dimensions. Let me give you some applications, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper, but let me give you applications. First of all, trust God's promises. Whatever He promises, He delivers. His Word tells us. His his character guarantees it. I mean, do you trust the promises of God? Do you know the promises of God? That's one of the things. You know, uh, we just have to trust Him moment by moment, day after day after day. One of the famous sayings is one of the one of the great things about the future is it comes a day at a time, and that's true. We don't want to know. I don't want to know next week. You know, if you're going to get the flu next week, you don't want to know now you're going to get the flu next week, right? You just want to say, I don't even want to know about it till it happens, right? Okay, so the truth is, just trust Him day after day after day. And, you know, I've got some things there that, uh, what, what does He promise? He gives us righteousness by faith. He says, I'll protect you. I'll never leave you, forsake you. He says, I'll provide everything that you need. I mean, there are all kind of promises. I mentioned some this morning. We talked about some of the future promises, the things that He's done for us now. Rest in the promises of God. Matthew Henry said this, Faith is the firm foundation in God that He has that He has will perform everything that He's ever promised. So know the promises, study the Word, know what is what applies to you because not every promise in the Scripture belongs to us. You know that's where people get in mistakes. I've seen people open the Bible and go, "Okay, it says that," and I go, "Wait a minute, whoa, whoa, that's not written to us." So don't claim that promise because that promise is not to us. Claim the promises that are written to us. The second thing is dig God's Word. I mean, dig it. Because what we want to do is see these prophecies and see how this comes to, to pass and see the life of Abraham and, 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 and know how it all fits together. Because this is one of the great things. You realize that the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, that's where it started, affects the whole rest of the Bible. Every, it affects us. We have the benefits of the covenant that God made with Abraham. He didn't make it with us, but we have the benefits. And so every aspect of the Bible all fits together. So what you can do is you can follow the flow of Abraham to Isaac and Isaac to Jacob, Jacob to Joseph, Joseph on to Moses. We'll see all that. In fact, we'll see a lot of that in our study. Uh, the plan is to go through the book of, of course, Genesis, and that ends with uh, you know Joseph's life. But we'll see how that goes after that. The third thing is trust God's covenant for salvation. And what I mean by that, trust God's plan. God's plan was to send His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. He shed His blood as the blood of the everlasting covenant, and whoever believes in Him has eternal life. That's God's covenant that He's made with all mankind. That's why when He told Abraham, In you, Abram, all the nations of the world will be blessed, because the Messiah came through Abraham, who is the Savior. God cut the covenant. 
And that covenant was the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. He died and rose again for us, trusting God's provision. That is Jesus Christ, our Savior. So may we know the Word of God. May we trust the promises of God, resting in our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the one who gives us eternal life and righteousness and provision and protection and all these things through the blood of the everlasting covenant, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray, and what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll have the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a night. Thank you for these promises that we see that you made to Abram, first of all, about the offspring, and just as if he could count the stars, that's how many offspring he's going to have. And Lord, we know that whatever you promised came true, and we watched it. We said from Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob on down, and, and throughout history, the Jewish nation, and there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Thank you, Lord for that. Lord, we also realize that your promises are so true and we see him as you dealt with him when he talked about the land and said, how do I know I will get it? And you you made the provision for him and you cut the covenant and you made the promise and you always keep your word. Lord, thank you that we can trust your promises, especially when we think about the whole promise of eternal life that you've given to us, eternal life simply by faith. May we dig your word, may we be able to put these things together so that we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Thank you for our Savior Jesus Christ for it's in his name we pray. Amen.